0: things or the big things it's looking at my life and going man anything i do that is sinful wrong should be doing this and i'm not it literally is i'm failing the lord this is a heavy message isn't it because it's it's a big one but it's so important for us to get so let's look at four reasons why we do fail the lord and here's the first reason of why we fail Our flesh is stronger when our spirit is weak. Our flesh is stronger when our spirit is weak. Now, don't get too caught up on that first part, our flesh is strong, because you're thinking, no, Jim, our flesh is weak. It is. But here's the thing. The weaker your flesh is, now I'm going to flesh that out in a little bit. I'm not going to flesh that out right now. Let's dive into this thing. I I, I want to get ahead of myself. Okay, let's dive into this. Why why does this matter about our flesh and our spirit? So look at verse 15 in chapter 18. It begins, it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus. So Jesus has been arrested. They have led him to um, a former chief priest by the name of Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the present high priest of the year. And so they lead Jesus to the palace of where Annas lived and it says that Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, let's stop right there. Another disciple. Now, it's interesting. As you read commentaries, you're going to get a lot of different ideas of who this other d- disciple was. Some think maybe it was Nicodemus. Remember, he was a Pharisee that became a follower of Christ. They're thinking, well, he was a, he was a Pharisee. He was already in. Or maybe it was Joseph of Arimathea who owned the tomb that Jesus would be paid. Those could be probable, but the most probable possibility is John himself, because actually John had family members who were actually related to the high priest. So John already had an in, all right. Because if you look at what it says right after that, it says, "And so another disciple. It says, since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest." So probably the other disciple was John because John and Peter went everywhere together. Remember every time Jesus did something, it was Peter, James, and John. So probably it's Peter and John following behind the crowd. They go into the the courtyard because the the high priest, and again, this is the the religious um, hypocrisy, the high priest were very wealthy. And so Annas who was the, the former high priest, was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And more than likely, these two men lived in the same facility because it would have been big enough with many rooms. And, 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 and you'll see later on, it actually says that Jesus is in front of Annas, and then they, they move him to go see Caiaphas. Well, they don't leave. They stay in the same place. So there's a, a probably a wall around the outer court, and and there's a gate, and so John goes in because he's like, I know the high priest. I'm in, but Peter doesn't. He stays where he's at, so John goes in because he has the connection, but look what it says. It says, but Peter stood outside the door, So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So John has some connections. He he goes to the servant girl and goes, oh, I know the high priest. He, He said to bring Peter in. So he goes, hey, Pete, come on, man. Let's go in. So Peter goes in. In verse 17, it says, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, You you also are not one of the disciples, are you? And Peter says, I am not. Failure number one. Right off the bat. Hey, you're not one of those disciples, are you? No, no, no. I'm just going going in. No big deal. Failure one. Look over at verse 25. Actually, verse 18 real quick. It says, the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire. Now look at verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by the fire. So they, the officers and the servants, the people who went out to arrest Jesus, are now in this courtyard and they've built this fire. And they said to him, you also are not one of the disciples, are you? And here it is. He denied it again and said, I am not. Failure number two. And then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it. Failure number three. Three times Peter fails to acknowledge who he is. But why? What got him here? Okay, What got Peter to this place where when he is asked, are you not one of these disciples? He did not just boldly just go, yes, I am. But he cowardly denies it. Nope. Don't know him. Don't belong to him. And three times he fails. But why? What got him here? Well, this will go back to earlier in the night. Before Jesus is arrested, and 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 Pete and John doesn't um, give us this um, this narrative, but the other three gospels—Matthew, Mark, and Luke—do. And and so in Matthew, what you read is when they were earlier in the garden, Jesus takes the disciples in the garden, but then he takes Peter, James, and John and goes a little farther away to pray, and Jesus tells. Peter, James and John, stay here. I'm going to go over and pray and I want you to watch with me. Now, what does he mean by watch with me? He's not talking about watching keep an eye on if because if they come, we got to get out of here. Jesus is going to pray and when he says, "I want you to watch with me," he is telling them, "I want you to pray with me." So, Jesus leaves Peter, James and John hunker down, but when Jesus comes back, he doesn't find them praying, but what? Sleeping. Sleeping. And he wakes them up, and he says, guys, what are you doing? He said, I asked you to watch. He goes, listen, you need to watch and pray, and here's why. And Matthew 26 tells us this. It says, you need to watch and pray because the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But Jim, you said the flesh is strong. Your flesh is weak and strong simultaneously. And here's how. Let's put your feet in Peter, James, and John's shoes for a moment. This has been a long day. I mean, it would have started out very early on Thursday morning. It is now Friday early morning. Okay? It would have, your day would have started out on Thursday because you were planning and preparing for the Passover. And they were out getting the, all the stuff. And preparing the upper room and getting it all ready. And then Thursday night you have the, the Last Supper, and Jesus is going through all this teaching and and you're and, and you're 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 just into it. And then you leave and you start moving out to the garden. And now it's later at night. And now you're in the garden and and you're probably a little tired, you know. You're probably physically tired, you're probably a little bit mentally tired, because man, you just had, you know. Bible 101, 102, 103, class 104 shoved down your throat in a matter of an hour. And, and, and now you're probably even spiritually tired because Jesus has been telling you, hey guys, I'm, 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 one of you are betraying me tonight. Everything emotionally is just checked out right now. So now they're in this garden. It's dark. Crickets are chirping. Little breeze probably blowing. And you just get down on the ground, and you're... Okay, I'm going to pray. You close your eyes. Have you ever done this? (laughs) Try to pray on your bed? You know, you hunker down, you close your eyes. Oh, Father, I just... I just... um... They pass out. They fall asleep. We can't fault them. But the reality is, when our physical bodies get weak. The fleshly temptations and fleshly desires get strong because the enemy attacks at your weakest. Peter is at his weakest point right now. His body physically, he is exhausted and he hasn't been praying. And then when he is in that courtyard, and the first time he's asked the question, are you his disciple? He is spiritually spent. His defenses are down, and the only thing he can come up with is no. And three times, spiritually weak, physically strong. His flesh was able to go, nope, not me, man, because the enemy, remember Jesus told him earlier, the devil's asked to sift you, and he's coming after you, Peter. The devil went after Peter, guns a-blazing, didn't he? And got Peter to fail because Peter was spiritually weak. Let me ask you, are you and I no different? When life is just cooking, your week is busy, okay? Especially if you've got kids. Anybody with kids, life just gets crazy hectic? I mean, especially when, you know, when, when they get to be junior high, high school, it seems like you're at one sporting event, you're over here, you're doing this, you're running over here, man, we got to go to church, we got small group, we got this, and, you know, getting them, we got to ch- always checking our phones, it's so much easier just to sit in the chair and just veg on the, on, on the television and just not do it. I mean, we get physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted, and <clears> then, <throat> And the reality is, if we're not careful, what happens is because we're so physically tired, we don't, let's just be honest, do you ever feel like, I don't feel like praying tonight. I don't want to read my Bible tonight. You wake up on Sunday morning, you're like, man, I don't even really want to go to church today. And the reality is we can get ourselves spiritually depleted because we are physically depleted and the enemy just comes in and strikes and that Fleshly temptation is so strong. And what happens is, is, when you and I are spiritually weak and our flesh is stronger than that, failure is imminent. Because the enemy's going to make sure of it. And so what happens is, is, in the heat of the moment, you're getting angry at something. You're at work, you're at home, somebody in the car but somebody's just on your nerves man and 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 you, you you crack your knee on something and 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 you go to the checkout and for some reason your cart not working and every, I mean it it I mean it is a volcano just waiting to explode right and 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 you you haven't been you haven't had time in prayer or the, just it is it, it's just a perfect perfect um storm It's just a perfect storm. And then you get home, and the kids say something, and it just... And you say something that you should... Failure or not. Big time. Failure is imminent when we are spiritually weak, because the flesh is getting stronger. We're no different from Peter. We may not do the same thing as peter but there are other ways we fail we fail with what we say we fail in things we do we fail with how we're living we just we do things that we know we shouldn't do all because of when we're spiritually weak man we blow it see why we fail because there are times where the flesh is stronger and our spirit is weak here's the second thing reason why we fail we feel that won't happen to me. Now this particular point is not in John, but what I'm doing is actually meshing some of the, all three all four gospels together in this account. How many of you know you can do that right? Just because it's not in John doesn't mean why well, I can't go to Matthew and pull it out okay it, it, it all everything is working simultaneously here so. John doesn't record this, but Matthew, Mark, both record that after the Passover supper, we know in John that they left, but it doesn't say anything else. Matthew and Mark record that after the supper, they left the building. But before they really started going out, Jesus looks at them and he says, I'm telling you guys, you all are going to abandon me. You're all running away. You're you're, you're all gonna you're you're fleeing. But Peter, in Mark chapter 14, verse 29, Peter said this: Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. You see, Peter's like, Wow. Timothy, I can see that with him. Thaddeus, oh, absolutely. Even James and John, they will, but nah, not me. I'm a spiritual giant. Oh, sure, I've had, how many of you know um, Peter's already failed that night? Him denying Jesus wasn't his first failure. What was his first failure that night? Cutting off the ear. Cutting off the ear. How many of you know that's not your best Christian moment when you're cutting off somebody's ear? All right. You're taking a knife and, dude, not really shining Jesus at that moment. All right, Peter's already failed. But Peter, in his mind, I'm a spiritual giant. These guys, they're going to fail you, but not me. Not me. I'll never do that. We, if we're not careful, can have the same mentality. I mean, don't raise your hand, but have you ever looked at someone who has had their failing? And you look at them and go, man, I can't believe they did that. I'd never. The reality is, Paul talks about, in Romans 12, he says, Don't be puffed up. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But think of yourself with sober judgment. You see, Paul is very clear about this. That, po- that, that knowledge puffs us up. pride puffs us up. And, and if we're not careful, it's very easy, especially if we have a position. I, I, I teach Sunday school class. I, I, I lead. I'm a leader in the church. I'm a missionary. I'm an elder. I'm somebody in the church. But those no-name people, well, they'll, they'll fail every time. Not me, though. And it's so easy. We can get our puffs. We can think, that would never happen to me. Here's two little sayings that all of us need to remember. Here's saying number one. If not for the grace of God, there go I. If not for God's sweet grace, I would be doing the exact same thing. And here's the second phrase. All of us, every single one of you in this room, you are one bad decision away from ruining your life. Just one. All of us fail the Lord. Don't be so puffed up in your pride thinking, well, I've never committed adultery. I've never been a drunk. I've never done such ugliness. Listen, if you sin in any way, you're failing the Lord. If if you never witness to anybody because you're too like, "I I don't need to do that. You're failing the Lord. Don't get puffed up thinking because you're not doing the big ones. You're not failing the Lord. If you're, the Bible tells us we all are sinners still. And if you think you're without sin, you're, you're fooling yourself. We all fail the Lord. And don't get puffed up thinking because you are super religious that you don't. Because we all fall on that boat and we all fail the Lord. Here's the third reason why we fail. We fear others. You know, we fail the Lord because our flesh is stronger and our spirit is weak. We fail the Lord when we feel that won't happen to me. And we fe- fail the Lord when we fear others. So in verse 18, I said that the servants and the officers have made this charcoal fire. So Peter is, in, as verse 25, standing with him, warming himself. And now they ask him, are you one of these disciples? And Peter's looking at these guys. They're the officers. Remember, I said the officers were the security for the temple. That when the temple would have, like during Passover time, thousands and thousands of people would have been there. And they would need security people. So people just weren't storming the temple. So these were security officers, in a sense, that Peter's now talking to. And he's like, man, if I say something, they may arrest me. Nope, I'm not them. Nah, not me. Not me. Not me. Because he's afraid of what they may do. But look at the next guy right after that. It says, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man who, whose ear Peter had cut off. Did I not see you in the garden? Now Peter's thinking, oh, man, this dude wants to take me out. If I say, yep, that was me, man, he's going to punch me in the face. Nope, not me. I wasn't there, man. Not me. Part of me can almost go, I can can feel for Peter in those two instances. Anybody else? You know, like, I don't want to be arrested and I don't want to get punched in the face. So, nope, I'm not going to. The one that I don't get why he denied it, verse 15. No, verse uh, 16. No, verse 17. I'm going to get there. So John brings Peter in and there's a servant girl at the door. Verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. A servant girl. Meaning, she's not even a woman, probably a young teenager, and she's a servant. She has no status, no position, no rights. She's a nobody. She has no authority, no pomp nothing she is a servant and she's a woman a girl so she her status level at at this time of life below zero and she looks at peter and says you're not one of his disciples are you and peter is so afraid of her i am not she's a servant girl how would, I mean, what could she obviously, what could she do to Peter if he would have said, yes, I am. She has no authority. She has no in with nobody. It wasn't like she's going to like, servant, um, he, disciple, disciple right here. No one would listen to her. Nobody would care. But Peter's afraid of her and what she may say about him. Now, let's not look down on Peter. Are you ever afraid of somebody saying something about you? You're at work and somebody goes, Hey, I I hear you're a Christian. Are you one of those Bible thumpers? Well, not really. I mean, I go to church now and then, but nothing serious. People are gossiping and talking about someone at work and then they look at you and go, What do you think about them? I don't, want to, I don't want to be the one that supports the person. So, yeah, I think they're, I think they're slime too. Man, I can't, I, I'd never be hanging out afraid of what people will say. You have an opportunity to witness to someone, and you close up faster than a door shutting in the wind because you're afraid of what, if I say something, what will they say about me? If I, if I profess to be a believer of Christ at work, maybe my co-workers w- won't like me as much. We're afraid. And when we have a fear of others, of what they may say and think about me, and I don't take advantage of an opportunity, I don't stand up for someone, I don't speak up for Christ, and I back away and shut down, guess what I just did? Failed. I failed the Lord. And Peter failed because he had a fear. And you and I can fail because we have a fear. How many of you know peer pressure is just not for teenagers? Spiritual spiritual peer pressure is just as real, real and prominent in adults. We fail because of fear of others. Here's the fourth thing why we fail. We fail because we move forward with the crowd. We move forward with the crowd. Again, in verse 15, it says that Peter followed Jesus. I I would think that he was far enough behind the officers, the soldiers, where he was kind of unnoticed. Following just in in the shadows. And then they get to Annas' palace. It says that he was outside the gate. Right now, Peter's in good shape. Okay? He, he followed at a distance and he's outside the gate. He, he, he's, he's not... The servant girl hasn't said jack squat to him yet. But what happens? John, the other disciple, comes and gets him. Come on, man. Come on in, Peter. And look what it says. So in verse 18, this charcoal fire is now set. He brings Peter in, and that's when the servant girl, are you his disciple? No, I'm not. He starts to walk into the gate. In verse 25, he walks into the gate. He walks to the other crowd. Verse 25, the, soul, the, the, the officers, the other servants are warming themselves with the fire. and says, now Peter is standing, warming himself with them. He walks from being outside to now walking in, and he goes to the fire, and he's standing with the people who just arrested Jesus, warming himself. Luke even says that now Peter is even sitting with them, warming himself. This is actually a great picture of Psalm chapter 1. What we see is Peter's gradual progression, his moving forward from following and being outside the gate to now moving to being with the crowd. And as soon as he moved forward and got with the crowd, that's when he fell. Because he did not fail when he followed. He did not fail outside the gate. He failed when he walked into the gate, stood or sat with the crowd. Now, why is this like a good parallel to Psalm chapter one? Because in Psalm chapter one, it says this, it says it on the positive, but I'm also want to read it on the negative. Psalm chapter one, verses one through three, it says this, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or, t- or, 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 or stand in the way of sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. What Psalm chapter one is saying is the person who delights in what God's word says and does not walk with sinners and sit and, and, and do all this stuff with the, the crowd, the, the culture, the, the, with, with the world, is a person that doesn't fail. Because they're, they're like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit. Your leaves never wither. You're strong like a tree. But you flip that. A person that does. Let me put, read it the negative. Unblessed. I, I'm not sure how you say blessed. Un, unblessed, I guess. Unblessed is the one who walks and step with the wicked or stands in the way of sinners and sits with the company of mockers. His delight is not on the law of the Lord and he's not like a tree planted by streams of water and don't yield fruit and your leaves wither. Picture, and I know we don't have this around here, maybe downtown Gelsberg or, or somewhere, but imagine if you were like in New York City and you walk by Macy's or or one of these stores, or, or Rodeo Drive, or something like that. But they have stores where they have their big windows. Imagine you, you, you see some, some new clothes you want to wear. You're like, oh, you walk by one day, and you're like, no, oh, that's nice, that's nice, that's really nice. You just walk by it. But you keep thinking about it. And so, day number two, you walk a little slower, keep looking at it. You're like, I don't think I could afford that. That's a lot of money. Day three, you walk and you stop and you stand. Keep looking at it. You keep thinking about it. And you walk away. But day four, you walk up to the window. You stand by the window. Then you go in. Now you're looking at it. And you're like, I cannot afford that for nothing. But boy, I want it. And now you're in there. And you grab it. And you're like, I got a credit card. And you go in major debt just to have a brand new suit or whatever it may be. See, if you would have walked by it and went, oh, that's nice and kept walking. You see that's what happened to Peter. He was walking but then he walked in and he stood and he sat and he fell. You see when you and I walk with the crowd and when I mean the crowd I'm talking the world, the culture, their beliefs, the cultural teachings and here's how you can apply Psalm chapter 1 to walking with the crowd. So with with the world and and the cultural beliefs and is this. What I start to do is I start to listen to and hear what the culture has to say. And I listen to it. That's like walking by it. But then instead of just listening to it, I I start to accept it and I stand with it. I I accept the beliefs of the culture. I, I I start to go, it makes sense what the culture believes and what the culture teaches. Yeah, I think that's right. And then I am no longer just listening to it. I'm no longer just accepting it. Now I believe it. Now it's like I'm sitting with it. I, I, I believe what the culture has to say is truth. And here's what happens. I accept what the culture has to say instead of God's word. What the culture has to say, I believe that's right. I believe that's truth, not God's word. And so what can happen is, all of a sudden, we start believing, well, the culture is right. What we hear on the news, what we hear from Hollywood, what we hear on on TikTok videos, or whatever it may be, we start to listen to all this stuff from other people. And we start to, yeah, I think they're right. And we start to believe what the culture teaches. And when we start to believe as a Christian what the culture is teaching, and I start to accept it as truth, Houston, we have a problem because failure is imminent. Because I'm taking the word of the God, the word of God and, and, and shelving it, and I'm taking the word of the culture and embedding it in my heart. And once I start walking and standing and sitting with the belief and the truths of the culture, I'm in trouble. You see, this is why we fail. And we're all failures on this point. We all fail in so many ways. But like I said, I didn't want to leave you just with being beat up. I don't want you to walk out feeling, well, I feel miserable going to church today. I I, I learned I'm a failure. I'm a big loser because I'm always going to sin. I'm always going to do things wrong. We are going to fail. Bank on it. You're going to fail. But the, the question is, What do we do when we fail? Here's what we do when we fail. We need to grieve over our sin and confess it. You see, here in John, when Peter denies for the third time, it says in verse 27, Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. And that's it. That's all we we get from John. But the other gospels paint a different picture. It goes into a little more depth, gives a little more detail. In Matthew chapter 26, I mean, here's how, here, here's how far Peter went. It, it just, he just didn't deny it. His whole character changed because Matthew says this, Peter began to invoke a curse at himself and swear to the people. He started swearing at him. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly over what he did. There was a grieving in his heart. He knew I failed miserably right now. And he went out and he wept bitterly. The Apostle Paul describes this idea of of weeping and and sorrow over sin in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And he describes two different kinds of sorrows. He describes what is godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. You see, worldly sorrow is when Christians know what I'm doing is wrong. I know I'm sinning. But I'm going to keep doing it. In fact, these Christians can even be told by friends and family members and other church Dude, or dudette. What you're doing is, is off, man. You, you, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be talking like that. You shouldn't be treating people like that. You shouldn't be acting like that. Come on, man. Let, let, don't be doing it. And you hear it. And you even kind of agree with them. But you don't change your lifestyle. You don't change your pattern. You're sorry, but not sorrowful. You're sorry, but you don't grieve. You just like, eh, you can shrug it off like it's not a big deal, and you continue on. You see, that's worldly sorrow, and that grieves the heart of God. Godly sorrow, as Paul talks about, is when you see your sin You see you're failing. No matter what it is, it could be a little sin, big sin, it doesn't matter. You see what I'm doing, what I'm saying, what I'm not doing. Man, this is grieving the heart of God, and I don't want to be here. And it grieves you. It touches to the core of your being, and you're like, you go before the Father, and and you, you you may not weep like Peter, but you feel the grieve. You feel it. Because you know your sin is grieving the heart of God. And it's grieving the spirit of God that dwells within you. And what you do is you go before the Father and you confess whatever it is. You get real with it. Every single time you fail, God, here I am. How many of you know God wants you there versus just shrugging it off and keep moving on? But here's the enemy. The enemy is going to keep telling you, you have failed too many times. Quit wasting your time. God has run out on you. God's forgiveness has run out on you. God's grace has run out on you. And you know what? If you keep failing him, you're going to go to hell. And I think a lot of people buy that lie, and we quit confessing. And our hearts can become calloused. Listen, the Bible makes it very clear that God never stops forgiving. God, the book of Lamentations tells us that the compassion of God never runs out. That his mercy is new every single day. I don't know about you, but I'm glad when I wake up on Monday morning, I've got new mercy. And when I wake up on Tuesday, I've got new mercy. When I wake up on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every single morning, there's new mercy. Because the day before, I think I ran it dry. Anybody with me? Give me an amen. God's mercy is new. Paul says, listen, when your sin abounds, and I don't know about you, but my sin abounds, Paul, Paul's like, um, God's grace will abound even more. So as high as you think you can build your sin, God's grace is going even higher. The reality is what God's word tries to tell, tell us is this. We cannot out God's love. We cannot out his mercy. We cannot out his grace. We cannot out his compassion for us, all right? He wants us to know, yes, when you fail me, it grieves me. But it doesn't anger me towards you. It grieves my heart. It grieves the Spirit of God. And the reason why the Spirit of God gets grieved is because the Spirit of God brings that conviction so you and I will feel the grief over it. I told a lie, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. I yell at someone, Ah, I shouldn't have done that. I do something I shouldn't have done. I'm not doing something. man agrees me, and I'm like, God, here I am. Help me not to be here. Now, here's the thing. Even when you confess, how many of you know? I mean, we're all still, we're all prone to this. You fail the same way. How many of you know you don't get it right on the first time or the second time or the 1,333rd time? we still fail. But I, this is why Jesus, I love when he says, listen, if someone sins against you, and he, he's, he's painting a picture of how he is. He says, if someone sins against you seven times, forgive them seven times. It's really not a, it's not a, like a set number. It's just a like a, he's just like, listen, you can't out forgive someone. And he's just painting a picture of himself. I, I can't out forgive you. I, you can't out send me. But the goal of our life is not to be like, whoa, God's going to forgive me anyway. I get to live how I want. No, that's God. See, that's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is, I don't want this sin in my life. I don't want to talk like that. I don't want to treat people like that. I don't want to keep messing up in that area. I don't want to keep, you know, like, I know I should be doing this and I don't do it. God, through the help of the Holy Spirit, help me to be holy Help me to be righteous on a practical level each and every day. So when you wake up in the morning, you're like, Holy Spirit, help me to live godly today. And in that moment when you're not living godly, guess what you do? You feel the grief. You come back to confession. Help me, Holy Spirit, to live godly. And you start all over. And you fall. Guess what? You get. When you fall, you're already down. Get on your knees, repent, confess, get back up, and move forward just Keep confessing. Grieve, confess. Grieve, confess. But keep praying, Holy Spirit, help me. Because the idea is that we want to be stronger in our walks, right? The idea is that we, I just want to keep falling down. Anybody, I mean, do you like just falling down physically all the time? No. You want to get stronger legs to walk right. So what we want to do is pray. Give me strong spiritual, Holy Spirit. So I'm not falling down so much. I don't want to fail today. But thank you, Father, if I do fail, I can come to you. Because I know you love me. And you confess your sin. You get it right. And here's the good news, folks. The moment you confess it, wiped clean. You and I may remember it. But the Bible says that the, God does not remember your sin no more. He throws it away as far as the east is from the west. All you've got to keep doing, feel the sin, grieve the sin, confess the sin. Amen? Let's all stand and have a word of prayer. So, Father, we thank you for your amazing love and grace for us. And, Father, we just come before you as a a people that we know we're broken And Lord, I'm sure right now in this moment that people could just even start to begin to confess their sin and we acknowledge our failures. Lord, we know we're not going to be perfect. We know that on this side of heaven, we're still wrapped in flesh and we're going to fail. But Lord, help us to have that that godly sorrow when we do fail. That godly sorrow that recognizes our sin and we we don't want to just continue in it, but Lord, we want to turn from it. We want to confess it, and we want to get real with it and keep moving on. As Paul said, we want to forget what is behind, and we want to keep pressing on to make that perfection our goal. So, Lord, we just pray that as we move forward in this world, move forward this week, move forward today, help us to have those strong spiritual legs so we can fail less often. And, Lord, we can please you in all we do and say. And We just thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, just for a moment.